Friends, welcome to episode 192 of the Juice Box Podcast. Today's episode is with Ashley, and we're going to call it Bolusing, Cursing, and Tacos. I'm very proud to tell you that the episode you are listening to is sponsored by Dexcom, makers of the G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor, by Omnipod, the makers of the tubeless insulin pump that Arden has been using for a decade. A decade? Hold on. Let me do the math. Yeah, 10 years. And by Dancing for Diabetes. You can find juiceboxpodcast.com and the sponsors in the show notes of your podcast app, where you can actually just go to juiceboxpodcast.com, and the links are there as well. You ready for the music? I want to take this opportunity to welcome any new listeners. I just got back from the JDRF event in Southwest Ohio. You guys were terrific. Spoke to a group of people. There had to have been 500 people in that room. There's a great picture on my Facebook and my Instagram if you want to see the room. Absolutely amazing. Thank you very much, JDRF Southwest Ohio. Anyway, guys, if you're new to the show this week, this is what I was telling you about. This is an absolutely terrific episode. It's good conversation. It's great management talk. There's a little bit of everything here, but don't forget this. Nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making changes to your medical plan. If you're interested in finding out about having me come out and speak to your group, just reach out through the links at juiceboxpodcast.com. My name is Ashley, and I have been type 1 diabetic for going on 23 years now. Wow. Yeah. How old are you now? Can I ask? Sure. I'm 27. Oh, okay. So you got you got in the game early. I did, yeah. <laughs> so Ashley, you um, are a uh, our, our talk today is going to be a prime example of when I tell people on the podcast that I don't prep at all. <laughs> I really don't prep at all. So here's what I usually do. Here's a little look behind the curtain. We set, I talk to people, and I'm like, this sounds interesting. Let's set it up. And we set it up. But then usually it gets set up for months in advance. And then I sit down an hour before we're going to talk, and I go over our correspondence in about two seconds. <laughs> Except I couldn't find any correspondence between you and I. So, oh, my God. Because now there's so many. By the way, this is not my fault. There's so many <laughs> social media platforms now. Like, I have to sit down. I'm like, did we talk by email? Was it text? Was it through Facebook Messenger? If it was through Facebook Messenger, was it through the blog website? Or was it through the – was it Instagram? I, I'm, I'm lost now. So, actually, a little why, bit overwhelming. <laughs> why are you and I – yeah, overwhelming. I'm too old for all this is what I'm saying. I, I, I really – I was sitting here this morning thinking, like, I should just find a younger person to help me with this part of it. But um, why are you and I talking <laughs> – what led you? Sure, I, sure. No, what led you and I to to, to meet and, and get to this spot? Sure, uh, we did connect via Facebook. <laughs> um, I had reached out to you initially because I volunteer with JDRF, mm -hmm. and I started working as an outreach volunteer, which is like a mentor for newly diagnosed patients. Yeah. And so one of the women I started mentoring, who actually you've talked to, I guess, um, she was like, oh, you got to listen to this podcast. I can't believe you've never heard it. And so I started at the beginning and pretty early on, you 
talked to someone who was in Northeast Ohio, mm -hmm. and they were talking about how they took their daughter to the Cleveland Clinic rather than going to, like, the Children's Hospital because of how great it was. Right. And at the time, I was looking for a new endo, and I looked them up, and I was like, wow, they're, like, number two in the country. Why have I not been going there? It's only 40 minutes away, mm -hmm. and now I have the best diabetic care team I've ever had. My A1C has gone down like multiple points. And I attribute that largely to starting to listen to your podcast and getting more involved with the community. So I reached out to you and thanked you, uh, told you how long I'd been diabetic, how long it took me to get here. And you were like, that's so interesting. You should come on. Right. So now I'm caught completely back up. First of all, here's what I heard. The podcast helped you. I didn't hear anything else. No, I'm just kidding. I, uh, so no, no, that's, so first of all, that's really cool. It is interesting. You know, I tell people all the time when they come on, I'm like, you're going to say something that's going to help somebody. And I don't think that that person would have ever believed by just saying the name of where they go would have ended up helping you. But I mean, look at that. Like they, they came on and spoke and your A1C is multiple points lower now. And that's yeah, it's pretty. pretty cool. Here's what it is. So when you were, di let's go back a little bit, diagnosed 23 years ago when you were four. And so like, oh, wow, I was going to just like try to whip out a date real quick. But is it was it in the 90s or the late 80s or the early 90s? It was, it was actually 95. 95. I was like See how I said early 80s, early 90s, late 80s. And then I said, started to say mid 90s. I was trying to cover every, <laughs> it's Friday, by the way. So, right, okay. right. So mid 90s. Um, four years old was there any did your parents have any way of knowing this was coming were there other people in the in the family with diabetes or did it really come out of nowhere no it really came out of nowhere i'm pretty sure when they took me to the hospital and the doctors told them that i had diabetes i'm like 90 percent sure my mom's response was isn't that like for older larger people <laughs> and I was this tiny little kid who had no idea what was going on sure, sure. your dad was so. gonna be looking for a firehouse to leave you at too he was probably right oh, right I didn't so. sign up for all this. that's enough of this uh well yeah because who would know right like right you really are stuck with the you know with the bs that's out in the world diabetes is for heavy people how diabetes is for your grandmother like you know aren't you know oh I have an uncle who has diabetes he takes a pill he doesn't drink soda anymore like that kind of stuff like so I, I get not understanding. Were your parents young parents? Uh, yeah, at the time, they would have probably only been about 30. Mm -hmm. So they were still pretty young. Yeah. And my younger sister had just been born like four months earlier. <laughs> so I just really wanted to, you know, keep their lives interesting. Yeah, yeah. No kidding. Yeah, that's got to be. Can you imagine? Like, like, put yourself in that position now, like all these years later, a little four-year-old kid, everything's going great, right? You make, right. a, you make another one because you're like, we are on such a roll here. Look how cute this little one is. We can do it again. And then somebody starts yelling about diabetes while you're holding a newborn. Right, <laughs> you're right. probably like, oh, it's, my God. It's actually ridiculous. I've thought about that now that I'm past the age that they were when they had me. I'm like, I can't imagine being in their shoes, you know, when that happened. Yeah. I, you would just said to the doctor, hey, look, can you watch them for a second? We're just going to go get a soda. And then. Just never come back. And, then, <laughs> <laughs> and probably divorce in the parking lot. Be like, you know what? Okay. Right, right. It didn't work out. We'll see you later. Uh, you know, it really is. Listen, it's shocking. I was in a very similar situation where my, my kids are, my son's 18 now and my daughter's just about 14. So we had them just far enough apart that I imagined that I could manage it as a stay-at-home dad. 
and that we thought we could rebound a little bit after paying for the first one to go to college for the second one. Like, so we, we spaced our kids out like that. So when Arden was diagnosed in 20, what was it? 2006, my son was like six years old, maybe five or six years old. And I remember the same thing. Like I had this cute little boy, he played baseball. We bought a house, um, you know, everything seemed really great. And I was like, let's do it again. And, you know, like, and then she comes out and she's adorable. And you're like, the first two years were like, this is amazing. Like the last thing I remember before being diagnosed, like big life event was my daughter's second birthday party, which we had in our backyard and completely over blue. There was a man like <laughs> with a pony r- r- riding the kids in a circle. The grass was getting ripped up. I was like, I don't care. You, you know, we had the Philadelphia Zoo came out with a couple of animals. There was like an armadillo walking around and an eagle. And I was like, we're winning life. And um, yeah, then like a couple of weeks later, I was like, oh, oh, what happened? You know, like just boom, like that. You and your parents ever talk about that? Sometimes. Um, because obviously we remember it very differently. I was, you know, really young and I just remember being overwhelmed. I wanted to go home, but I, you know, didn't feel good. Mm-hmm. I actually distinctly remember we were at a children's hospital and Homeward Bound was playing. And my grandma was the one who came in and told me I was going to have to stay overnight. And I cried. And to this day, I can't watch that movie. Please check out DancingForDiabetes.com. Dancing, the number four, Diabetes.com. Diabetes always ruins them. So, oh, um, when my wife was in the hospital with Arden, uh, because we were on vacation when she was diagnosed, and I had to keep going back to the vacation house to stay with my son, and that was back when, like, little portable DVD players were, like, a thing, and my, my daughter watched Sky High over and over again. Oh, my God. And now, yeah. if it comes on, I can see my wife, like, physically get ill. Yeah. It really yeah. bothers her. It's interesting. So what was your movie, Homeward Bound? Yeah. That's probably yep. not a bad movie not to be able to watch again. <laughs> I know. It's, it will occasionally come up in conversation because, we'll, you know, someone will be like, oh, yeah, this cute movie that I watched as a kid. I'm like, nope. <laughs> That's the diabetes movie. That movie gives you diabetes. <laughs> Well, at four, right. it's just, I mean, okay. So four years old, so, your pa- so you and your parents, when you and your parents talk about it, can you get a feeling from them? Like, are they, does it, is it sadness that they try to mask? Is it guilt? Is it like, what, what do you think they feel when you, when you kind of have that conversation with them? I mean, or maybe it, maybe they don't let on at all because I'm always interested about like how, how does Arden perceive how I perceive diabetes because you know what I mean? Like I, I hate it. So like, does she know that? You know what I mean? Right. It's uh, it's different from both of them. Uh, and it's kind of neat having talked to them and like looking in retrospect at like how they've responded to me over the years and realizing what it was they were feeling and thinking. Mm -hmm. Uh, my mom, she actually just passed away this past November. I'm sorry. Uh, thanks. Uh, but she, whenever she'd talk about it, it was always this like instant fear. Like when I got Dexcom and I was so excited, I was showing it to her how it worked and everything. If my phone, like if I so much as got a text message, she would like shift and be like, is that your blood sugar? Do you need juice? Like, <laughs> and, and I get, I don't think she slept the, my entire childhood. I'm pretty convinced at this point. Yeah. Isn't that funny? Like, so every time, 
she thinks about diabetes, it, it's her first thought that something's wrong and you're right. and you're in danger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then my dad, um, he is at this point, he's just recognized, he's like, you know way more than I do. The technology is so advanced. It looks really cool. Just So he's kind of fascinated by it, but he's almost like, and I could be wrong, mm-hmm. but it's almost like he's relieved that he doesn't have to keep up so much with it anymore, Yeah, if that makes sense. But every time I get my A1C or go see the endo, I call him and he's so excited to hear, you know, how much better I'm doing. And he almost can't believe it. Cause when I was diagnosed, I think my A1C was 14. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, and it, my last one was 5.9. So your dad probably feels the way guys feel when their ex-wives get remarried and they're off the hook for like, out. <laughs> <laughs> like you like, know, that's probably accurate. You, yeah. You got a Dexcom? I'm off the hook. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but you know what? It's funny. It brings up for me is that, is that I'm always worried. It's in, I'm glad to hear you say it and you're laughing through it because I'm always worried that Arden will see it as me being on the hook. You, you know what I mean? And like that she'll one day look back and think, oh, that, that poor person. Like, like, like one day she'll figure out what it really means to have diabetes on her own, like a real like by herself feeling. And right. I don't want her to look back and feel badly about what we did because I don't feel badly about it. Oh, good. Yeah, you I know? totally get that because... Uh, my husband and I have been together for a number of years now. We started dating in high school, mm-hmm. and that was one of my biggest fears before we got married that we really had to work through was the guilt of putting that on someone else. Mm-hmm. And he is so, I mean, he's the tech guy. He's obsessed with Dexcom and all the data and, like, seeing the trends and whatnot. Uh, but I get so worried that I'm going to burn him out eventually, you know? Yeah, I, I definitely... I mean, I can't say that I wouldn't be worried about the same thing. It, it, you know, it's already hard. I don't want to bum me out, but it's not that easy to be married. You, you know, like, and, it, sure. it's, yeah. and, and so you start adding other things and, you know, and, and you're his Radio Shack project or something like that that he builds <laughs> on the weekend or something. And that's not how you want. I'm assuming you don't want to be seen like that. Like, I bet you, I should probably let you tell me, but it's, I bet you, <laughs> I bet you like that he cares, but you don't want him to burden, have that burden, right? Exactly. How do you balance that then? That's a good question. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm I'm pretty self-sufficient at this point. I mean, I will get, you know, my Dexcom weekly reports and show him and get really excited about it. And he has some input. It's really funny. Like, if my blood sugar's low, uh, and, you know, you, when your blood sugar's low, for instance, you don't really think clearly mm-hmm. sometimes like I, I don't know it gets all fuzzy and I'll just look at him and be like what should I do and he looks at me he's like well, what do you think you should do um, and I'll give him like I don't know I'll start sputtering on ideas like maybe I should take a glucose tablet he's like I'll go get those for you <laughs> <laughs> it's a variation of of that every couple knows about the restaurant conversation where do you want to go I don't know where do you want to go I'm not that hungry why are we going then <laughs> Oh God, I know well, that. Well, you said so you were well. hungry and I'm just trying to go with you. Well, that's stupid. Where do you want to go? I might, oh my God, my wife looks so disappointed in me when I don't know what restaurant I want to go to. <laughs> I, I probably give my husband the same look, so I get it. I always look back at her. I'm like, but you don't know either. Yep. Why, why is it okay for you not to know, but me not to? And I know I always just trail off and give up. And then I pick a restaurant that I'm sure she's unhappy with. So... <laughs> I know that conversation all too well. I can't make decisions. It's just like, 
awful. I, so. think, I think my wife is so busy making decisions at work that when she comes home, she really is not looking to like be the person in charge of a lot of things, especially. I, I get stuff. that. Yeah. So, okay. So I'm trying to like, because you know, some people have a completely opposite reaction and don't want their spouse in any way involved. As a matter of fact, there's no way to know when your episode's going to go up, but around episode <laughs> one, around episode 150-ish, there was a person on who said that they didn't even take, like, like they were dating and really and was struggling, struggling, struggling with diabetes and never let on to their to their boyfriend, to their who became their fiance, who then became their spouse, and finally she was finally able to tell him, like, look, I'm I don't know how it looks from the outside, probably pretty good, but I'm not doing well. And I was like, wow, that's, and she, I'm assuming too, didn't want to burden, you know, or cause a problem or, you know what I mean? Like it's, right. it's a, it's a hard, it's a hard thing to figure out. Um, you know, so let me go back a little bit. You said that you found a new doctor and that, you know, it's really improved things. So you, that, how long ago was that? Uh, about a year ago now. Okay. So, so prior to that, the 22 years prior to that, were you like, how would you describe your kind of like like how your care was going? You know, it was, it was going okay. Um, I've always kind of embraced my type one as a part of me. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I've always tried to take care of it. I went away to college and, you know, found an endo closer to me and, um, you know, did what I could. Uh, and it wasn't doing too bad right before I switched to my current endo, I think my A1C was hovering between like seven and eight and I was happy with it, but knew I could do better. Okay. And I was starting to hit that point too, where like probably around 15 to 20 years with uh, T1, I was just feeling burnt out by it yeah. constantly. And not even, I, I struggle to use the phrase burnt out because often that means that people stop taking care of themselves and let it get out of control. But I hate not feeling good. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I would maintain it, but I'd be really bitter about it all the time. I gotcha. I like that. Yeah. Bullessing yeah. and cursing, which is probably yes. going to be the title of <laughs> this episode now that I think about it. But uh, yeah, that it, so, so you hated it, were tired of it, but are too stubborn to stop doing it. Basically, yeah. <laughs> That's great. Well, good for you, by the way. I think it might take Thank a little you. bit of that. You know what I mean? Like it. Right. Sometimes not giving up takes a lot of different, a lot of different like faces. I guess you, you know what I mean. Like not, it doesn't. It's not just like bear down and go when I win. Sometimes it's get by, and right. uh, and so so you were getting by, but you didn't have your A one C. Like you knew it could be better. Did right. you? Right. And I wasn't happy. I was, you know, I mean, emotionally, I was just a mess all the time because it was always there. You know. Okay. Oh, so, so is this thing that you felt like I can do better at this, but I'm not, and so it's making me upset. On top of that, I really don't want to be doing this anymore, but I can't give up. That's not a good place to live at right. all. Yeah. Um, why? Why? Why didn't you have an A1C more like what you were looking for? Like, was it lack of, um, like just tools? Did you not like know what else to do? Yeah. It it was, I mean, it was a mix of things. Um, I've been on different kinds of insulin therapy. I mean, like when I was diagnosed, all we had were the syringes, yeah. you know, the basic injections. And I went from that to pens to a tubed pump. And then now I'm on Omnipod, cool. which has made all the difference uh, 
just because for me personally having to detach even for like the 10 minutes it took to shower my blood sugar would spike like crazy things like that um but it was that and accepting things that aren't necessarily true like i love your catchphrase bold with insulin because i just had it in my mind that you know i would eat and inevitably i'm gonna spike to 200 plus that's just a thing that happens you live with it and then it comes back down mm-hmm. um and it was accepting that accepting where i was rather than trying to get it better you know let's just take it back a step today we're going to talk about dexcom but we're going to talk about it in very simple terms do you know what a continuous glucose monitor is if you don't listen closely and if you do just use my link and order it now but if you don't the dexcom continuous glucose monitor is a device. You wear it and it tells you how fast your blood sugar is moving and where it's at. So for instance, right now, Arden's blood sugar is 91. I can see that because she is at school wearing the Dexcom G6. That's the newest version. If Arden's blood sugar begins to move up or down, her Dexcom will indicate that to her and to me because I'm able to follow her. You're actually able to have up to five followers. But anyway, if her blood sugar should begin to move, with some very easy to understand arrows, the Dexcom will indicate to me how quickly she's moving. Is the arrow pointing straight up or straight down? That means one thing. Is it pointing diagonal up or diagonal down? That means another thing. You look at it and you quickly know, oh, her blood sugar's moving about two points per minute. Maybe I should do something now. Maybe I should just keep an eye on it. That is what the Dexcom does. And I've talked about it on a very basic level today because I was somewhere this past weekend where I was talking about Dexcom and I was just like, I know everybody loves Dexcom. And somebody came up to me afterwards and said, what was that thing you were talking about that began with a D? And I thought, all right, there's more work to be done here. We need more people to understand continuous glucose monitoring. And I think the best way to understand it is to go to Dexcom.com forward slash juice box and find out more. I'm getting ready to go off and speak at something in a couple of weeks, and I keep like trying to figure out how to... I only have an hour to basically try to fast-forward people through the ideas of this podcast. And I just keep thinking about, like, how do I start? Like, you know, like, how do I, how do I put them in the frame of mind to believe it so that we can talk about it? And because and, you can't just start giving examples because you'll have... People have the same thought, like you just said. Like, they'll be like, that's not how this works. You, you know, like, or that guy knows something magical I don't know or something like that. And... I think in the end, it's just, it comes down to like, it comes down to understanding. Like, I think that, you know, if I said to you right now, like, do you know how to make a million dollars in a year? You'd be like, no, that's not a thing that where happens, but somebody knows how, you know what I mean? But somebody knows how to do that. Like, I don't know how to like, if the motor in my car blew up, I wouldn't be able to take it out and put in a new one, but somebody knows how to do that. And, And, you know, and so... The difference is, is that when your car breaks down, you don't, uh, you don't automatically think, oh, well, there's no one in the world that can fix this. I'll just die. Like, you, you, know, like you, don't, you don't have that thought. You think, oh, well, there's a guy. I'll go find a guy or a woman. Somebody can do this for me. But when it's diabetes, it's that horrible, horrible sentence right away. Like, you, you, my, I, here's what happens. I eat. My blood sugar goes to 200. There's nothing I can do about it. That's just diabetes. And, right. and the truth is... That's not just diabetes. That's diabetes if you don't understand how to use insulin. Really is kind of that simple. You, you know, and, and, and it's no one's fault because nobody gives you the right 
like talk about it in the beginning. Nobody says, hey, this is how the insulin works. And, you know, you're going to have to start using it here if you want it to do something over here. And I don't know. It just seems so unfair because then look what happened to you. Like you just described yourself as being burdened, unhappy, burned out, you know, but, but none of that was necessary. That pissed you off? Like once you figured it out, were you just happy or were you angry afterwards? There's a little bit of both. Um, and I think it was more happy and relieved than anything when I realized I could do it. It was almost like winning a game, right? Like I felt like I had finally figured something out and felt really accomplished. Um, And there's really something to be said too, that like the reason I, you know, found the podcast or got these other tips and tricks to start doing better was connecting with other type ones, which I've never done. I mean, like I said earlier, I'm the only one in my family who has it. Um, and I never really grew up with other type ones. I think my first type one friend was in college. We happened to already be friends and she was diagnosed while we were in school. <laughs> she probably thought you gave it to her. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Um, I knew not to hang out with Ashley. <laughs> right. She's like, oh, dang it. Um, but... You know, I started, I I reached out to uh, Beyond Type 1, which has their app Mm -hmm. with all the forums and such. And so I got super involved with that. And through them, I got, like, book recommendations. So I normally can't read, like, medical books. I just get so bored. I don't process (laughs) any of it. Yeah, I might be like that. That might be be why this podcast exists, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. But um, I did pick up uh, Bernstein's book because someone had mentioned on the app, you know, oh, I read this in my A1C went down two points. And I was like, what? I don't believe you. So I read it and made some of those changes. And then that led me into, you know, Gary Schneider's book and then uh, Adam Brown, uh, who writes for Diatribe. Yeah. And like things started to change there almost instantly when I started reading what other people were doing. But there was still this like disconnect because I couldn't talk to them and bond with them over it. I hear you. You know? And that's probably that this does that for you, being able to listen to other people like actually talk. Oh, absolutely. Oh, that's great. I'm glad to hear that. Um, Yeah, it's it is. So community is it's funny because I I have this conflicting thought in my head. It's not conflicting, actually, I guess. But here's how I think about the idea of community. I think it is incredibly important. And, you know, for reasons like you just said, like for, you know, because you're, because the guy at the deli counter can't tell you how to use your insulin. So you need to find somebody who are, you know, who knows that can share these things with you. But at the same time, sometimes we, uh, listen, I don't do it, but I see community get oversimplified. It's importance oversimplified. Like you have to know that someone's going through the same thing as you, which is absolutely true. You have to know that there's other people out there and they've got your back and all that. And that all is absolutely true, but it doesn't culminate with success. If the rest of it doesn't come, the tools and the ideas, concepts that really work, um, supports nice, but you know, listen, if you go up to bat and you strike out and your coach says, as you're walking back, it's okay. You'll do better next time, but doesn't tell you how that's going to happen. You know, like, because maybe you need to land your foot a little sooner or your hands need to be a little higher. Like those are the kind of things you need to know. It's cool to be supported, but you also need information. Um, Right. And I think there's a little too often um, that some of us just, we go with the cheerleading, but we don't go with the coaching for some reason. Right. Um, Right. you, You need a mix of that. So I, but I think it's, 
I think it could also go the opposite way where if someone just sat you down in a room and gave you all the tools and you still felt isolated, you might not have the, I don't know, like the inner energy to put them to use even. Oh, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So, so you found, so is it mostly through beyond type one and their, and their community or, or, or have you kind of branched out everywhere? Are you a little bit everywhere? I'm a little bit more everywhere now. Yeah, it did start there. And then what I really wanted was to connect with more diabetics who had been type 1 as long as me. Um, Because it's just, I don't know, it's different when you've been living with it for so long. And because I was burning out so hard, it felt like I just wanted to talk to someone else who experienced that and got through it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I wasn't finding that necessarily as nice as it was to connect with others. So, uh, I had read a couple of posts and I had an endocrinologist recommend like, well, you know, you've been doing this for a long time. You probably have some knowledge to share, especially cause you know, your management overall is pretty good. You should see if you can work with other diabetics. So I connected with the snail mail program at beyond type one. And then I was feeling super motivated and I emailed the local children's hospital where I spent a lot of time as a kid and was like, Hey, I want to like do this, maybe talk to parents, show them like, you know, that their kids are going to be okay. Cause here I am 20 plus years later. Uh, or, and they were like, well, we don't have anything, but maybe you should reach out to JDRF. So I reached out to JDRF and I got an email back from our chapter here. And they were like, we are definitely looking for mentors to work with newly diagnosed patients. You should come out for training. So I did. And so now I go to a bunch of events, uh, that they host in the area and I'm mentoring, uh, quite a bit. I discovered that there aren't it, it seems like more and more people are being diagnosed in their 20s, mm-hmm. uh, 20s and 30s, and there weren't really any mentors who could be that age and relate to them and talk to them. It's a lot of uh, parents of type 1 kids mentoring other parents. Yeah. And so I was instantly paired with um, a couple of people, which has worked out really nicely. It's fantastic. Like I said, one of my... Uh, women that I work with, she was the one who told me about the podcast and we just like hang out now because we're like oh, good that's friends. Great. That's excellent. Um, yeah. can, can you tell me your first name? Danielle. Hi, Danielle. That's very cool. <laughs> uh, thank you for sharing the podcast, by the way. I, yes, I, I yes. Always, every once in a while, every couple of episodes, I beg at the end. I'm like, please tell someone else because <laughs> I don't know how to, I'm not good at doing it. I don't, I don't really know. I, um, social media might not exactly be my thing. And so... <laughs> And uh, I can't afford an ad, so uh, <laughs> which would probably be the best thing to do. Maybe I should just do that. Should I buy a Facebook ad? Who would pay for that, Ashley? <laughs> that's, see, that's always the question. <laughs> yeah. Who's going to pay? It's, a, right, it's right. an overwhelming life question. I uh, work in nonprofit, so we're asking that a lot. <laughs> who's going to pay? Well, I, I have to say that um, you know, I I, I feel similarly to to what you just said. Like I I did a JDRF um type one nation talk a couple weeks ago and it just went, it went really well. I, I really, I really saw leaving. I'm like, wow, you actually can take somebody who's just lost and bring them like, bring them right up to speed. Like it's it, because the, the things they're lost on 
and the things that they're they're experiencing as kind of speed bumps, the stuff they can't get past, it, it's pretty universal for most people, you, you know. And so if you can hit on sort of those core values and and say, you know, hey, here's a thing you're probably experiencing, and then they think, oh, I am experiencing that, and then you go, oh, and then it builds a little trust. Then they kind of listen to the next thing you say, and then they start seeing hey, that person's saying something that's answering these, it's filling in holes for me. Like I have gaps in my understanding of what's happening and that just made a lot of sense. But what I saw from a couple of people was, why has no one told me about this before? And anger. Like that's why I asked you about it earlier. Like a, so a gentleman that came up to me and as thrilled as he was to kind of have the gaps filled in and, and, and could, he felt like he could see a little better now. Because you, know, you know what happens is your gut tells you, I shouldn't be letting my blood sugar go to 300 and just waiting for it to come down. But then the doctor told me not to stack insulin or whatever. And then you get conflicted that way. So that, that gap gets filled in and, and you could see the happiness. Like he was thrilled, but at the same time, I felt like he was mad. Like, like he wanted to go back and find the doctor and say like, why did you not tell me this? You know, we've been struggling forever. Why would you not bring this up? Um, it felt nice like to see him get over it, but I felt sad for him that it's sort of the same way when you were talking, like all those years of not feeling like I'm like you're doing what you mean to be doing, but you're still putting in all the effort, not getting in any of the return. Like that just seems, I might just have a mental block from like, there's a couple things in life that I, I don't like the idea of. And I guess wasted time is a really big um, kind of thing for me. Like I don't like to think of people wasting time it makes me sad. So, yeah, and I get that. I feel like part of my problem too was occasionally I would get bits and pieces of information or treatment, but it was never communicated to me in a way that made sense. Like I still remember, and it's so funny to me now just because of how much more controlled my blood sugars are mm -hmm. literally on a daily basis. But I remember being in college and talking to my endocrinologist and saying, I don't know what to do. I'm tired of the fluctuations. They make me tired. I don't feel good. And he said, well, why don't you consider waiting to eat if your blood sugar is 200 or higher? Like it should really be under 200. And I looked at him and told him that was impossible. I was like, I, I'll never eat then if I do that. Um, I get that. Yeah, like right? I can't imagine my blood sugar under 200, so when am I going to eat? Right, yeah. exactly. Um, so getting like little tips and tricks like it, but he never explained why that worked. Like the, he was basically kind of introducing me to the concept of pre-bolusing. Without giving you enough details right. to understand it. Like why does that make sense? I don't, I'm, I'm not going to do that because then I'll just be hungry and I'm not pleasant when I'm hungry. So that's not happening. I wish you could have been here the other day um, where Arden's, blood sugar like spiked up coming out of something that went up to like 180 and it sat there and I was like oh and I tried to bump it down it didn't move and I was like oh it's going to be one of these and we had food coming up in like 45 minutes and my wife's like what are we going to do and I was like oh I'll tell you what we're going to do and so <laughs> I bolused for the 180 and the pre-bolus for the meal like 45 minutes before the meal and I just I, I could just crushed her blood sugar and I got it back down I think she started eating around like 75 or 80 Wow. And then as soon as the food started going in and I could see like there was like a, it wasn't a diagonal down. I had it in this nice drift. So do you know what I mean? Where the arrows steady, but the blood sugar is still drifting down a little bit. Oh yeah. Yep. And so it's drifting like that. I let her start eating a little bit and then I bolus the rest of it. And that was it. And she stayed right around 90 after that. 
That's but, fantastic. But, yeah, but we went from like a stubborn 180 to eating 45 minutes later and a blood sugar back at 90. And that's just timing. It's just the right. timing of the insulin. It's all, it's all it is. It's so super simple once you get it. Like, do you find that? Like once it hit you where you're like, oh my God, this is it? Yeah. <laughs> it's great because um, – like what? It's funny because I refused to do it back then, and now that I'm doing so much better, I look back and go, "Oh, he was onto something." If only I had like understood what he was sure, trying sure. to yeah, say. Sure, sure. It, it, a, a, a kernel of really good information for you, just not enough. Right, right, and it's so I've tried different things, and I'm pretty low carb now, which is relatively easy because I'm actually also celiac. Okay. Um, so I was already eating gluten free, and so then when one of the things that got my A1C and my blood sugar so much better, so much more controlled was I went pretty low carb. Mm -hmm. And now I'm kind of in this place where I'm starting to introduce more back into my diet and really working on pre bolusing and temp basils. I'm like addicted to them now. So good times. <laughs> I think I posted on Instagram. I use my Instagram exclusively for uh, diabetes awareness and advocacy and things or like accomplishments, things like that. Right. And I post on Instagram one day I had gone to get tacos with my husband and he was like, okay, just if your blood sugar spikes, don't be mad at yourself. Like you haven't had like this many carbs in one meal in a really long time. Mm -hmm. And I super pre bolused. I did attempt basil and I don't think I ever went above 110. Wow. And I just stabilized around like 85 an hour after the meal. It was fantastic. When he said that to you, did you actually think in your head, I'm going to be bold with insulin? I actually did. And he looked at me, he was like, just remember what your podcast guy says. He's like, be bold with insulin. <laughs> That's hilarious. I, yeah. uh, I just, there was an episode up recently. Uh, I think it's called uh, Jane Has a Guy. And she, yeah. she she goes to her son all the time and she's like, my guy on the podcast. And I was like, that must really <laughs> piss him off. And she's like, I think it does. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I was just telling him about this episode. Yeah, uh, it's I was great. like, yeah, she's got a guy, you know. <laughs> well, but it was good. It was this moment too where uh, they had like brought out our nachos or something, and I had taken insulin. I looked at it, I looked at him, and I was like, I'm gonna spike. This is more carbs than what I accounted for. He goes, so take more. And it was just the most simple response. Where I was like, oh. Yeah, I, I guess I could do that. But I get so, and I know it's something you've talked about a lot, but there's the fear, especially of um, low blood sugars that, I mean, I was raised with that fear. My parents always had it and that, you know, came on to me and I was like, oh, okay, I I could just take more. He's like, yeah, I mean, worst case scenario, you always have glucose tablets on you and it turned out great. So I've been getting a little bit more adventurous. I have an adventure for you to go on. How about trying a free, no obligation demo of the Omnipod tubeless insulin pump? It is super easy to do. All you do is go to myomnipod.com forward slash juice box. Tell Omnipod your name, your address, and they send you a demo pod right to your house. It's magical. There's a box out front of your house probably, has a number on it. It'll come right into that. Then you just take it out of there. It's amazing. And you put it on and go, huh, this is cool. I'm going to get more of these. He call on the pod back and say, hey, I tried on the demo. I loved it. Let's go, baby. And they will help you with the rest. That simple. I don't even need the rest of this music. I mean, I guess you could go out and find another insulin pump if you wanted to, but it's going to have a tube on it. Do you understand what I mean? You're going to have an infusion set on your body. It's going to be attached to 
probably two feet or more of tubing that goes all the way to this other thing that holds the insulin. And then you have to clip that to your belt or I don't know what you're gonna do with it, put it under your hat maybe. And that's where you control to get your insulin on those other insulin pumps. But on the Omnipod, the pump is self-contained. It has the insulin in it, you wear it right on you. And then you tell it you need insulin from a wireless controller. Just pull it out of your pocket or your bag, push a couple buttons, insulin goes in, stick it back in your bag, that's that. Nothing to clip to you. Don't worry, no one's gonna think you have a 1983 pager when you're with the Omnipod. Try it today. Absolutely free, no obligation, and I'm telling you, you're gonna love it. MyOmnipod.com forward slash juicebox. Yeah, well, that's good for you. That I, listen, it's one of the, it's one of the tenets of it. Like with fear, a lot of this doesn't work because right. if you're afraid, then you can't kind of act in the moment. You can't be bold. You can't say, "I know I need this. Needs more insulin. I have to do it," um, because because then you you know, I don't know. You wait, and then when you wait, that that hesitation throws off the balance, the timing of the insulin and the and the carbs. It really it really is that kind of like it can be thrown off that easily it's it's sort of like i don't know imagine if you were a hockey goalie and you reacted a half a second late to everything you, right. you know what i mean like it's like oh the puck went by and then your arm moves and it's, <laughs> it's like i still moved i was so close but it's just it's too far away it's over now and, right. and i feel like that's what i've been doing for so long because i was functioning so much in that fear mm -hmm. no no i i definitely understand listen this morning Arden came downstairs to sc for school this morning. Today's a half day for her. And most of it's Good Friday today while we're, we're doing this. And most, we were supposed to have off today. Her district was supposed to have off. But it snowed enough that they made this a half. Oh, right? yeah. And so we, you know, we said to the kids, like, what do you want to do? Um, because they said, you know, if you have a religious reason, you don't have to come in. And I said to the kids, I'm like, I'm more than happy to lie and say you have a religious reason <laughs> if you don't want to go to school. So my son's a senior. He's like, I, I don't want to go to school. And so I called him out this morning. My daughter said, there's a math lesson I don't want to miss. And we were like, okay. So she went in. So she gets up this morning. She comes cruising down the steps. And maybe we have to leave in five minutes. And it's that um, the Omnipod is expiring. And, I, uh. and I'm like, I said to her, I'm like, is this the, hey, you have eight hours left? Or is this the, hey, it's over? And she goes, oh, no, no, it has eight hours left. And I was like, I, are you sure? And she goes, I said, because I could just change it really quickly. And she's like, no, 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 it is. So 20 minutes later, I, she's at school, and she texts me, and she's like, hey, you know, I need a new pod. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> so I just kind of, I cruise over the school really quick. We changed the pod in two seconds, and she was 120. And I had just bolused a little bit of insulin to, for the 120, but it had been long enough that it didn't move. And I was like, okay. So I switched the pod and I did a temp basal increase, I think of like 30% for an hour and we bolus like a 0.2, right? So that was eight o'clock and it's 10.15 now. And her blood sugar is 94. Wow. It's been so steady. But the bolt, here's the idea of not being afraid, right? Like when you think 120 and you just gave a little bit of insulin, you shouldn't give any more insulin right now. But no, we just swapped off the pump. So, it, you know, the pump wasn't on for a couple of minutes. It takes a little bit for the absorption to start over. Like, like you know what I mean? Like, there's a little bit of stuff going on there. And I know that from experience. And so it would have been easy to say, well, let's wait and see what happens. But by the time we waited, what would have happened was diagonal up arrow 135, which right. now would have needed the 
0.3 plus the the basil that I use plus more, and then I wouldn't have had the nerve to use more. And then you just fall down that rabbit hole of just chasing. And it's so- yeah. You figured yeah, it all out, Ashley. Good for you. Seriously, <laughs> okay. I'm so excited for you. Like, I'm I'm really happy for you. It's hard to be happy for a stranger over a podcast because it seems a little like I don't really have any um, I don't have any right to be like happy for you. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, but I, I feel sure. really good for you. Like, it's it's cool. Thanks, mm. thanks. Yeah, and I I get that too. It's like uh, this morning I woke up and my blood sugar was right around. 78 and then I checked it a couple minutes later because I was too lazy to get out of bed and it was down to 74 and I was like okay it's creeping down I should probably get up and eat something and so of course by the time I got up it was like in the 60s and I was like okay so I just ate a little bit of something Uh, I had like half a glucose tablet and then I was like well I'm gonna eat breakfast now and then I got an arrow straight up it was at 94 and I was like okay I'm gonna take a little bit of insulin right now Uh, which like, I know if I had told you're crazy, it's probably going to stabilize fine. And I was like, no, trust me. I know what's going to happen next. I'm going to take just a smidge of insulin. And right now I'm 106 and just cruising. Yeah. So listen, it, it, this is, I just repeated this to my wife the other night because she's, she's still working on some of these ideas. And I, and I said to her, this is just very important. You have to believe this and you have to do it. You have to be willing to have a low once in a while, because if you, if you err on the side of caution, you're going to have a ton of highs and it would, I would much prefer to have to deal somehow with a low once or twice, like to look at that situation you just described, handle it, you know, pretty aggressively and thoughtfully, and then have it go wrong one time because it's going to go right 10 times. You you know what I mean? Like you can't, and you can't trade the 10 good blood sugars for the one, eh, I can't believe I have to drink a juice box situation. Um, because then it's the opposite. Now your blood sugar is high 10 times and one time you were right. Right. You, I mean, do you find that more often than not, you need more insulin than you initially believe you do? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I think that is true. Um, I think that we all get a little caught up in counting carbs and saying, Hey, look, my, you know, my pump says this much. And so that's right. But nobody stops to think that the person who put the number in the pump was you and you didn't know what you were doing and you set your insulin to carb ratio. You're like, right. my blood sugar moves this far, you know, for every blah, blah. It's, that's a random. That's not a real thing. That's a, right. that's a guess. <laughs> so, right. And as much yeah. experience as I have with it, I'm still not good at guessing. Like, I know you talk a lot about, like, oh, I have no idea how many carbs she had. I just know she needs this much insulin, which is fascinating to me I love it but there's been a couple of times where I can pull that off with small things mm-hmm. and I'll look at Phil my husband and be like okay I you know I took insulin I'm gonna eat this now he's like oh how many carbs did you account for I was like oh I don't know I just you know took a unit you know lunch baby here we go <laughs> right <laughs> well do you do the, do you readdress if something goes wrong what's that do you readdress the insulin if you're not right yeah okay that's all I that's what I do I mean I'm not like I really hope people understand that I don't guess her blood sugar right every time. Right. <laughs> like, like, do you know what I mean? Like there's, you know, today's going to be an example in, in about 20, 10 minutes, you and I might still be on and she's going to tell me that it's time for her to eat because it's a half day. So it's much earlier than she usually eats. And because yeah. it's only a half day, she's not hungry enough in the morning. So she takes just snacks. So let me tell you what's in her thing today. She has a little bottle of, uh, She's got a 16-ounce bottle of water with, like, a Snapple packet in it. So there's no carbs in that, right? 
there's a small banana, but now as I'm saying that, I don't really remember exactly how big it was. And she has four Oreo cookies and a bag of Cheetos. <laughs> oh my gosh, I want to eat like her. Yeah, right? And so she's so thin too. And so, um, and so just sitting here right now thinking about it, I don't know. Like, I, like to guess a number out loud for that, I'd say six, just off the top of my head. Now, to think through it, the banana probably has 15-ish carbs. Um, I'm sure that the little grab bag of Cheetos is probably 15 carbs. There's 30. Um, now, the dirt, now, the Oreos are 40 carbs. So that's like 70. So there's like 70 carbs in there. Um, but here's the stuff you don't think about. She's probably not going to finish the whole banana, Right. And the cookies are going to be like a big burst up front, but probably not a, it's not going to sustain. There's nothing really sustaining in there. Nothing that's going to hold her blood sugar up for hours. And so saying six, I don't know. It's probably right. But she's 92 now. So no matter what I do, when I, when I pre-bolus her with the six, she's going to go almost all the way to 75 before she starts eating. So I can, I can miss a little bit because the worst thing that's going to happen is that 45 minutes from now, I'll start seeing a diagonal up arrow. And if that diagonal up arrow starts to crest 110 and 120, I'm going to go, okay, you know what? That wasn't enough insulin. Um, but I'm also planning ahead for the idea that she'll be home in two hours. And so even if she's a little low coming in the door, it's going to be lunchtime. And she's going to be ready to eat again. And, and I don't think that people think that stuff through far enough. Like something you're doing now could be just a I don't want to call it a pre-bolus, but it could be a pre-consideration for what's going to happen two hours from now. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Like, don't think of yourself as low at 70 if it's mealtime. Think of that as an amazing pre-bolus for a meal. And then, right. Because then, by the way, you don't have to pre... If your blood sugar is 75 when you're going to have dinner, that is your pre-bolus. You, you know what I mean? Now your right. pre-bolus only needs to be a couple minutes. doesn't need to be this really well thought out, like 15 or 20 minute thing. You just need to give it a little bit of a head start over the food. Uh I love that you figured it all out. So <laughs> seriously, it's filled. there's still some things I'm trying to figure out, like how to bolus for a gluten-free pizza. We're still trying to figure that one out. <laughs> what happens? I miss pizza. What happens? So I will like last time we did it, I thought it was going to work out really well because I pre-bolused. I was probably around 95 or so. Mm-hmm. So by the time we got the pizza, I was like 73 ish. Um, and so I ate the pizza. I was on an increased temp basil. I was kind of hanging out there for a while. And then like an hour or two later, I spiked up to 180, like very quickly, very suddenly. Okay. So from where to 180? From like, uh, you might've just set up, but I, I tripped out a little bit, like imagining, <laughs> uh, imagining your graph in my head. So like, were you 75 yeah. right to 180? Was it like a sharp spike? It was a pretty sharp spike. Yeah, it wasn't like two arrows up. So it started to creep up, but like to an area that I was, comfortable with obviously like 90s hundreds and then like i think around the time i hit 110 or so it was like oh we're going straight up now here it goes did you bolus right then and there i did yeah and 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 it stopped at 180 to come back or did you have to readdress the 180 um no i had to readdress it again okay so then however much you use to try to stop the spike and for the readdress did you get low later oh i'm trying to remember i I think I started to, but stopped the low from actually happening. I had to eat something, which not complaining about, but 
I got yeah. you. So if you really want to think it through, the amount of insulin you put in for the spike plus the amount of insulin you readdressed with minus the amount of insulin that the snack later would have taken, that amount belonged in the initial bolus but stretched out over more time with an extended bolus. Yeah. Right? And so you could have been like whatever that bolus was. Like let's just make up a number. Let's use round numbers. So let's say it was a 10-unit bolus um, and you ended up using five more units. So – and then you ate something later that really would have eaten. Do we use two units? So you needed thirteen in total, but you needed a lot of it back ended back where you saw the spike. So you could have done a thirteen unit bolus instead of a ten, put in the amount, a percentage of it that would have that would have equaled what you did do, and then take the rest of it and drag it out over maybe ninety minutes or two hours, and then that probably would have done it, or it would yeah. have got you a lot closer. Right. Yeah. And so now that, but listen, the first time out, there's no way to know. It's not like, oh, for sure. so you're not going to be like, Oh, pizza. I know what I'll do. But, right. but, but now that you've seen it, does that make sense? It does. Yeah. yeah. And it, it almost like requires that failure to know like what I have to do to get it right. I just, I'm so determined to get things right. I was so mad. I didn't do it. And you, you know, I've got Phil over here who's like, that's okay. Just do it differently next time. It, it really, not to repeat myself over and over again, but it is such an important <laughs> thing. They're not failures. They're just experiences. Like right. you really have, you have to see it before you can imagine it. You can't just imagine it out of thin air. Not something, right. not something like that. Once you see it, then you just look back and you go, oh, okay, I see. You know, this is, this is where I needed a little more. Here's how I could have stretched it out. There's, you know, there's a ton of things you could have. You also need to be kind of bold enough to, I, I, I wish I, it's my own sentence that I've made up and sometimes I trip <laughs> over it, but you have to be willing to believe that what you know is going to happen is going to happen. Right. Right. You can't, you can't do that like, oh, maybe this is the time it'll all just work out real nice for me for reasons that are unknown. Um, because when that happens, that just means you screwed up something somewhere else. It's kind right. of, it's, and it's covering for this, you know? Right. Um, what do you, how many times do you see a spike now during the day? Uh, it depends on what you consider a spike, well, what I do guess. You consider it? <laughs> uh, I try to keep it under 140. Mm -hmm. And I would say I get that a couple times a week. It's not even necessarily daily. Good for you. That's, a, that's yeah. amazing. I, I sometimes, you know, I some Arden sometimes spikes once or twice a day. And yeah. we get it back really quickly. But now I actually did just pull up her her CGM while we were talking a little while ago, because we've had like maybe the best, like last 12 hours uh, in a long time where, you know, her blood sugar's just been like between 85 and a hundred for 12 hours. Wow. It's a yeah. Really, really steady line. So, um, even I'm like, I wonder what happened here <laughs> because, right, right. because there was a lot of like, there, it's funny. Like there was a spot last night around eight o'clock at night where she said, I'm going to want popcorn later. And I was like, okay, and so we're just hanging out and then our blood sugar starts to go down and I think, okay, now's the time for the popcorn. And, you know, so she gets this giant, I don't even know if she likes the popcorn or this like little like stuff she sprinkles on. I think, I think the uh, popcorn is a delivery system for like the powdery cheese stuff she likes to put on it. But, uh, but she's, um, but she's like hitting all this popcorn. If I told you, if I showed you how much popcorn it was, and that I would never even consider wondering how many carbs are in it. Like she, I just let her, my wife's right. like, what are we going to do? I'm like, oh, let her start eating. You know, she's like, she's like 70 now, diagonal down. 
And then she's eating and eating and eating. And then eventually, like maybe 45 minutes later, the blood sugar kind of starts like it swings around. It's coming back a little bit. And then I look at the popcorn and I go, okay, well, that popcorn's going to need some insulin. Like it can't be free, right? And so I put in like three quarters of a unit. And then it kind of hung. And then I saw an arrow go straight up at 90. And I'm like, okay. And so I put in a whole unit. Because usually popcorn for her is around two units. And, okay. and I put it in. And I swear to you, it just, boom, leveled right out again. I was like, I like. It was one of those nights where I wanted to stand up in the middle of the room and be like, I so just won. I it, like, like, why is no one bringing me a medal, uh, right. or, or can I be on ESPN now because I've won something? And I've done that. <laughs> I've literally thrown my hands into the air when I feel like I've won. I've been like, I did it. Yes. <laughs> I'm totally kicking this thing's ass today. And yeah. so, and it just. But here's the thing: if I give her those 1.75 or two units for the popcorn when she starts to eat it, she's going to get low. And if I wait too far into when she eats it, she's going to get high. It was just this moment, and I could see it on the CGM. Like, like it, it's, it's what it is. Yeah. It, it's, it's, once you start seeing that stuff, it's magical. Like, it, it right. really, really Like, there's so many things to consider more than just the food. I mean, you mentioned it earlier with, you know, you're keeping in mind that she'll be home in a couple hours, things like that. It's, you know, what's going to happen next that's also going to affect it. Uh, because I know recently I we went out to eat and I just had to totally guess. And so obviously I spiked. I went up to like 199 and was like stupid proud of myself for keeping it under 200. 199. But, you know, I was like, oh, look, I'm still keeping it down. But I kept in mind that we were going to be walking around. Mm -hmm. uh, and then sure enough, you know, just crept back down and hung out at like 120 most of the evening. It was fantastic. Dancing for Diabetes spreads awareness through the art of dance to better educate the community, raise funds to find a cure, and inspire those with diabetes to live healthy and active lives. Please join us on November 10th for the 18th annual Dancing for Diabetes at the Bob Carr Theater in downtown Orlando. Tickets are on sale now at drphilipcenter.org. You do not want to miss this. That's amazing. Yeah. And there are times where you can't just be like, I'm going to crush this 199 because you have to give consideration to what's coming next. Right. You, you know, you can't, that happened with softball a couple weekends ago. Ooh, hold on a second. Arden, it's, she says, is lunch now? I think she meant lunch <laughs> is now. I said, is it? She said, yes. Okay. 87 blood sugar. So I definitely need to know if she's hungry. So I'll ask her and she'll say, I guess. Helpful. <laughs> Helpful. Um, so good to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. I'm going to do, what I say, six units? 6.00 extend. And she's going to start eating right away because this is like this weird half-day bullshit. But she's 87, so let's do 50% now and the rest over an hour. And I think it's possible I bail on some of that extended bolus. And I think it's possible that I cancel the extended bolus and rebolus with the remainder of it. But I'm not going to know for 20 minutes or a half hour, I think. Yeah. And I have to ask, when you do stuff like that, you're like, okay, I'm going to do the extended bolus. But, you know, I might cancel it and then I'll have to, you know, mm -hmm. input a new bolus later. Does it ever just exhaust you to be thinking about it? so much like each individual bolus if that makes sense ah 
here's the secret about me. <laughs> Let me take a drink. I'm not really <laughs> thinking about anything ever. Ah, so. Okay. <laughs> so, so that's the trick. Got the, it. <laughs> the, trick, the trick is I'm an incredibly chill person. I really don't. I won't think about this again until the next time it requires me to think about it. And so I have her, she's, you know, uh, there's a threshold at 70 and there's, and then I hear if she goes over 120, she doesn't hear until she goes over 130. Uh, and so my expectation is, is that what I just did is going to work out fine. But what could happen is I could hit a low where I have to bail on the rest of the extended bolus. And that would be if she takes two bites of that banana and then goes eh, and puts it down and doesn't eat it. See, I don't even make her finish her food. I don't, there's no like prerequisite for what she eats or what she doesn't eat. Listen, she's going to eat those Oreos. I'm pretty certain about that. Right. I mean, who would, I'm, I'm thinking she's starting with the Oreos cause that's where I would go. And so, <laughs> and, and, and she's going to eat, she's going to get into those like little Cheetos things she has pretty well. Um, and she's going to drink some, but not a lot. Like, so I kind of have a feeling in my head based on how she eats in general, what's going to happen. Right. But if she hits 70, then I'm going to know, okay, let's bail on the rest of that insulin. And if she hits 120, I'm going to know, ooh, I should have put in more of it up front, so let's cancel it and put in the rest now. But I'm not going to ever think about that again unless she hits 120 or 70. Huh? Right? I just, I'm a boy, Ashley. Um, <laughs> really, that's probably my secret, is that, um, and, I'm, and I joke about it, and at the same time, I don't. Like, I've been, a, I've just realized the other day, I was in my laundry room, uh, because that's what I do. I do the laundry. Very and nice. in my laundry room, there is a really big blown up um, print of my, the cover of my book because the book's called Life is Short, Laundry is Eternal, even though it has literally nothing to do with laundry. But so it's, <laughs> it's hung in there so that every once in a while I can look up and go, I did write a book one time. That was cool. And, and that's pretty much what it's there for because my wife won't let me be happy, so I have to do it on my own. <laughs> and so I'll go in there sometimes. And I looked up the other day and I actually kind of read the jacket of the book. And it said something like, Scott's been a stay-at-home dad for 12 years. And I was like, I've been a stay-at-home dad for 18 years. Um, and I think I'm pretty good at it. And I think one of the secrets of it is, and, and this is going to sound incredibly sexist, but I've been around a lot of women who stayed home with their children and a lot of women are neurotic and, and, and <laughs> worried constantly. And I don't blame them. I blame, I blame nature and that like mommy feeling that you have, like everyone's trying to kill your kid. I saw people this morning on Facebook, this woman's like, my son's playing Fortnite and I'm afraid people are going to show up at our house and murder us. And I'm like, there's a thought I'd oh. never happen. Like, like <laughs> I would never think that ever once. I would and, never go there. Oh my God. Like, like it. And by the way, if that happened, I'd be like, I can't believe it's, we're the one people who got murdered through a video <laughs> game. I guess. All right. Bad luck. Uh, right, but, right. but, but, right. But, but so I just don't have like, there's whatever that gear is that, that, a lot of women are punished with when the, when a baby arrives. <laughs> I don't have that. And so I have just enough narcissism to believe that what I just did is right <laughs> and no ability to worry about anything. So I just won't think about it again. Fantastic. That's it. I have to say, uh, Phil is very jealous of you. He always says his calling in life is to be a stay-at-home dad or stay-at-home husband, and that's all he wants. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, you can keep dreaming because I work in nonprofit, and you're the one who's going to grad school for machine learning. Yeah, like, it's him. Uh, yep, yep. He's like, I know, but just 
just make it happen. Come on. There's a, a few things I like to say to mess with younger people. Um, one of them is some, because my wife and I have been married for a very long time and we got married pretty young and people are like, what did you notice about her? And I was like, she had real earning potential and I don't, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I, I'm joking, but, um, it was her, <laughs> but I just, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but, um, but you know, I'll say that. Or when people say, oh, we're getting married, I always like to respond with, oh, were you tired of being happy? <laughs> Did you get your fill of happiness? Um, right. Yeah. But but it really is, um, it's the best job ever. Like, if you said to me tomorrow, Scott, I'm going to need you to get up on Monday, you know, and go to work, you know, be there by eight, stay till four. I'd probably chain myself to something in the house and start crying. <laughs> I'd be like, you're not getting me out of here now. It's, yep. um, it, it's, it's funny. Because I'm in my mid-40s, and I think that I might have been one of the very first generations to, like, openly – it's funny, I'm talking about like I'm gay – but openly be a stay-at-home <laughs> dad without being embarrassed about it, but still get a ton of pressure from other men. And so the generation in front of me, like my father-in-law's age, they just think I'm taking advantage of my wife. Like, oh. it's just – it's simple. Because, by the way, they don't – my father-in-law doesn't do the laundry. He would never consider that. He wouldn't go to the grocery <laughs> store. He wouldn't do any of the things that, like, he wouldn't talk to his kids. You know what I mean? Like, all the things I yeah. do, he doesn't imagine I'm doing. He imagines I'm doing what he would be doing during the day, which I'm assuming is drinking coffee and watching television. And right. so and so, it, there's that. Then there's guys in my age bracket, and then they fall into two very distinct categories. They either think I'm soft or they're really jealous. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, let me be clear, Ashley. You should be really jealous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Phil's like, I'm great at laundry. I can, you know, cook and everything. Just set it up for me so I can do <laughs> There are times that I get a little snippy. Um, you know, like I'll cook dinner and then no one's hungry. And I'll just like, I sound like a five-year-old in the kitchen. I'm like, no, no, it's fine. I just spent the last two hours doing this. No one has to eat. It's okay. Let me just clean the dishes now. I do sound like a like a sitcom person, you know. Um, <laughs> but for the most part... Uh, like joking aside, like a lot of what I've been able to figure out about diabetes was because I didn't have to go to work. Like I'm not right. thinking about another thing. If I needed to take two hours in the middle of the day to figure something out or to watch a blood sugar five years ago to figure out how it worked, I had that freedom. And I also had the freedom to, it's little stuff. Like I know it's that most people need two incomes and um, it's not lost on me. I could certainly use another income as well. Um, but like seeing my son come in the door in the afternoon and being able to stop and talk to him for 20 minutes, like, like real people and not everything just like crashing around. If you guys have children as you move forward, I can't tell you how important I think it is to just make time to like exist together because, you know, it, it we are always jumping from thing to thing or worrying about, you know, something like it's, there's never enough time to just be. And, uh, and I got my son upstairs. I can vividly rem remember the day he got on the school bus for the first time. And three weeks from now, we're going off to his college so he can go to a, a, a new student mixer. And um, it's crushing a little bit to see how quick, to see how, how much that that adage of like, it goes by quick, like how true it is, is uh, it sucks. So, um, yeah, so try to do that. If you can let your husband stay home, Listen, why don't you stay home and then just tell him you'll tell him about it. It'll be very similar. Right, right. 
<laughs> you know, I'll text you throughout the day and let you know how it's going. Listen, so. if you're a nonprofit, you make about the same amount of money as staying home. So. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, and uh, here I am trying to, since he's doing machine learning because he's such a data guy. I mean, that's what he does now. He's a software engineer. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you should totally go work for someone like Dexcom or Inslet. And he's like, yeah, I would love to do that. Or you do that and I stay home. <laughs> <laughs> He's smart to keep fighting for it. Um, <laughs> he, he really is. Yesterday I did a, I did the podcast with Kevin Sayer yesterday because um, the, the Dexcom G6 just got uh, FDA approval. I and, did listen to that. <laughs> thank you. And I edited it and I got it up quickly because it was time sensitive. And then I um, went out and bought Easter flowers and made dinner and vacuumed. So it was a pretty, it was a pretty easy day. I'm going to tell you. So, uh, I tell him I think he should keep fighting. He really should because it is well worth winning that fight. The There is a downside. Here's the downside, and this might help you, and I'll let you go. Buying your wife a gift with money she made is not a masculine feeling. Um, <laughs> going up, right, going right. up to her on her birthday and being like, here, I got you this thing. And then noticing she doesn't like it and then realizing you bought her something she doesn't want with money she made. You're, you're sort of like – Wow, this is a complete failure. Um, And I do think that there is, on some level, whether anybody wants to agree with it or not, there is something burned in us from the beginning that even though I don't think a lot of people at this juncture in time want to admit it, there is something in you that wants to see your husband go out with a club, hit something over the head, and drag it back to be cooked. (laughs) Like, like there is, like, um, when when you don't do that, it's... um, I don't think it's sexy anymore. Like, I don't think doing the dishes is as sexy as you think it would be. You think it would be exciting if he would do the dishes because he doesn't do the dishes. Once he does them every day, you'd be like, oh, my God, my husband's the guy that does the dishes. And um, it's not as exciting in practice as it is in theory is what I'm getting at. So there's a little look into the the behind the scenes of being a stay-at-home dad. It's not exactly... um, for you, it wouldn't exactly be as exciting as you think it would be. Right, right. Yeah, you'd be a little like, oh, he's all right with this. <laughs> Why is he not going out and making us money? <laughs> right. I'd be worried I'd come home and be like, so what'd you do today? Like very accusingly. <laughs> oh, that goes on for a couple of years in the beginning. Like, it's because there's an incredible jealousy for the person who has to leave. And yeah. I tried in the beginning – it's a long story, but we had this little red convertible when our kids, when our son was first born and it was a two seater. It was like such a fun car. My wife and I had it before we had kids. And then she went, you know, I started staying home. She went to work. And the next thing I know, I'm like sending her pictures, like outside of the zoo with my son, like buckled into the front seat and like, you know, we're out with the top down and everything. And I, in my mind, like, seriously, I thought, I don't want her to miss this. Like he had such a good time today. This is something she'd want to see. And I'd share like back then cell phones were terrible. So they'd be these little crappy pictures, you know? And, um, and she would, she eventually told me one day, she's like, you have to stop sending me those. It just makes me mad. (laughs) And I was like, why? And she goes, I want to be there. I want to be involved. Uh, I don't want him to do anything that I don't see. And you know, like I, it's hard for me to be at work. And I was like, Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Um, and then I just stopped doing that. Like I just took the, you know, and it is one of those weird things that I don't know, maybe I'm an idiot, but it didn't occur to me at the time. I was like, oh, she would want to see this. But uh, what she wanted was to be there. Um, but joke's on her. She paid too close attention in college. <laughs> <laughs> 
I tell her all the time, I was like, you should have just not done as well in school and this wouldn't have worked out like this for you. Right, right. <laughs> so that's the lesson today, Ashley. Don't try too hard. <laughs> Got it. All right. Don't think so hard and don't try too hard. Yeah. D- listen, set the bar super low. That way, anything that goes right is a major accomplishment. That's, uh, that's my... Sounds fantastic. Yeah, yeah, listen. I, I, I probably disillusioned you now. You're probably like, oh, I sounded so good when I was listening to the podcast. But now that I'm talking to him, this is very upsetting. <laughs> so did we cover everything that you meant to talk about? Sure, yeah. Yeah, cool. I thought this was a very chill and easy conversation that I enjoyed. It was. It was fun. Thank, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dancing for Diabetes, for sponsoring the podcast. And, of course, to Dexcom and Omnipod for doing the same. Please go to Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox. Go to MyOmnipod.com forward slash juicebox. Or go to DancingTheNumber4Diabetes.com. What I mean, or go to. Go to the mall. Have yourself a trifecta of diabetes delight. Get yourself the tubeless insulin pump that Arden has been wearing for a decade. The pump that helps us do all of the things she does between her activity and going to school, making adjustments, and not being tethered to something. No tubing. Right? Then you have that, and then you get your Dexcom G6, and you can see your blood sugar, which way it's going, how fast it's going. And you can send your kid on sleepovers and to school and to go play sports without worrying because you'll be able to see their blood sugar wherever they are. Think about how happy you'll be when all three of those things happen. And think how happy I'll be when you use my links in the show notes or at juiceboxpodcast.com.